This is the Confident Collective Podcast with your hosts, Christina Zias and Rayanne Langis, two plus-size models and body activists here to get real and candid about living your most confident life. Get ready for powerful conversations that will leave you laughing, motivated, and inspired. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Confident Collective Podcast. It is Christina. I am here today doing a little solo episode. Our girl, Rayanne, is in Miami. She's there for a swim week for a brand trip. Yo, our bitch just walked in a runway show the other day. We are so proud of her, Um, but I am holding down the fort here for the Confident Collective And I am so freaking excited because today we have such a good episode. We are talking all things sex. Yes, yes, yes. This is a conversation I don't talk that much about, but honestly, I'm about to because we all want a good, positive, healthy, fun sex life. And to talk about all things sex today, I have Dr. Viviana Coles. She is a doctor of marriage and family therapy. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist, a certified sex therapist, and president of the National Sex Therapy Institute. And you might already know her because she's also a series staple on Lifetime's Married at First Sight and on their new series, Unmatchable. She's also launching a new book, The Four Intimacy Styles, sharing her proven methods of repairing broken intimacy bonds and rekindling sexual intimacy in a long-term committed relationships. And she is freaking amazing. She got on this podcast we've recorded together. She's on vacation with her family in Maine right now. Like so freaking sweet, took the time to talk to us. And she's just so amazing. We talk about the four intimacy styles and I answer so many of your questions about sex and relationships. And I think you're going to find this episode so helpful. So I really, really hope you love it. If you're enjoying this podcast, please make sure to screenshot it and share it on Instagram. You can tag me, you can tag Ray, tag the Confident Collective and leave us a review on Apple. It would mean so much to us. Um, So without further ado, let's get into it. All right, everyone. Welcome, Dr. Viviana, to the podcast. I am so excited to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to talk all things intimacy and the four intimacy styles. Oh my gosh. Can I tell you something? Sex and intimacy is like a conversation that I just don't talk that much about. It's a topic that like even growing up, I've always like was awkward about. And like, still I'm like 33 years old. I'm like, sex should not be something I feel uncomfortable talking about. Like I have a husband, I have a child, like we're having sex, you know what I mean? And that's okay. Um, so I don't know why it makes me nervous, a little uncomfortable. Um, but I think that's kind of normal. Is it? What do you think? Absolutely. Pretty typical. I think actually it's, it's somewhat atypical to have someone kind of like me who, just kind of feels at home talking about it. But remember, when I'm talking about intimacy, what I'm trying to do is just be helpful. I'm trying to impart all the information that I've learned from my almost 20 years of working with clients. And when I can do that, it takes me out of like my own space and more into a helping space. So, you know, kind of like, it'll help you if you think about it in terms of you're trying to help your listeners and your viewers to learn something, to get something out of this. It's so much easier when you think about it in terms of helping versus how do I feel about it, my own stuff. Later on, you'll get to kind of figure it out for yourself. But right now, we're just chatting to help people. No, absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, like everyone wants to have a good sex life. Everyone wants to have like great intimacy. So with that, like what does intimacy mean to you? How would you define it in your own words? 
Yeah. So for me, intimacy is a feeling of emotional and physical connection, feeling bonded to somebody, feeling like you have almost a sacred bond to someone else. Now you can have emotional intimacy, you can have physical intimacy, but when you're talking about truly having an intimate connection with someone romantically, hopefully that you're committed to, which I think it mainly happens in committed relationships and flourishes in committed long-term relationships, that's true intimacy. It's being open, vulnerable, it's being raw, it's being truthful, transparent, all of those things. And the way that I believe relationships can get to forever is by maintaining that intimate connection, both emotionally and physically. And the four intimacy styles is all about how to really, truly hold on to that connection through a physical intimacy. It's all about the sex stuff. Okay. So what are the four intimacy styles? Okay. So the first one is bonding. Then we have release. Then there's giving and responsive. And all of them are equally important. Uh, a lot of people who go online to the four intimacystyles.com, they take the quiz and they find out what percentage of each is present currently. And my goal and what I hope all of your listeners and all of my readers will find out is that the goal is to round out your intimacy style by experiencing 25% of each in nearly all or all sexual interactions. And the reason that it's so important to round out your intimacy style is because if you can experience that sort of um, balance, then you and your partner should be satisfied forever. But if you're experiencing one way more than the others, if one of them is really almost lacking, then that's where people get into this feeling of disconnection and um, almost like a alienation sexually. Right. Well, it was super interesting. So I took the quiz and I, I, I love this sort of thing. Like I was all about the love language. It, <laughs> made, it made me like learn a lot about myself. So I think the intimacy, intimacy quiz is super important too. And the more you know about yourself, the more you know about your partner, the better relationship you can have. Right. Absolutely. So I'm just going to be super vulnerable and read you mine. And I would okay. love to get your input on it. Absolutely. So mine is 33% release. Okay. Um, 27% bonding. giving and 13% responsive. Okay. So I think you're doing great because a lot more people are kind of like this. They're like very flip-flopped. I would up your responsiveness um, because, well, maybe we can go through and and I can tell you what each one is kind of about, a definition of each. Yes, I would love that. So for the bonding intimacy style, these are people who experience emotional bonding through physical intimacy, through sexual intimacy. So they love the I love yous, you know, they, they love all that. But what truly makes them feel bonded and connected and intimate with their partner is having sexuality with them. Release is for those who their main motivation for having sex or having any sort of sexual interaction is to experience the high of the physiological release that happens, whether orgasm is present or not. So they're going to, they're going to feel so super close to their partner and intimately connected with their partner when they experience that release through interactions with them. Then we have giving givers are usually people who are like, I'm going to feel so good vicariously through giving you pleasure. When you experience pleasure, 
because of me, I feel connected to you. I feel intimately bonded with you. So they're the ones who are like, it's all about you. Truly, it's all about you. It's not just because I want you to, you know, tell your friends I'm a good lover. Um, I just truly feel very connected to you when you experience pleasure from me, for, for and from me. Um, then we have responsive. Responsive, they're the ones that tend to get the bad rap of having low desire. It's not so much that these people have low desire for sex. It's that they don't tend to experience spontaneous desire for sex. So they're the ones who um, don't really think about sex often, but when it's brought up to them or when their partner initiates, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I can do this. And then they really enjoy it. But then they kind of close the door on it again. And then their partner maybe initiates another time. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds good. It takes something to trigger them to even think about it. So these are the people who are like, how how is it that my partner's always thinking about sex and always asking about it and always initiating when, you know, like I'm thinking about my to-do list and I'm thinking about the kids and I'm thinking about my job and I'm, you know, wanting to get a massage or, you know, get my nails done. These are the people who really just seem like they're responding to whatever their partner's needs are. And that, that works for them. It's not, again, it's not that they don't enjoy it. It's not about lack of pleasure it's that they don't think about it and they're very responsive. They are doing it because their partner needs it, not because they necessarily need it. So do you think that's because uh, maybe just a lack of sex drive or they're just, it's just not as important to them? Because I, when I asked um, our listeners questions, you know, a lot of women were either concerned about their lack of sex drive or their partner's lack of sex drive. So does responsiveness and sex drive, are they intertwined or is it, how does that work? So it can feel that way. It can feel as if there's an overarching low or lacking sex drive. What I'm telling them is that it, it could be that there's a physiological, actual low desire, which is pretty rare. But oh, really? What I'm saying, yeah, it's pretty rare. But what I'm saying is that relationally and with your relationship with sex, you may just not think about it as often. It may not be something that you carve out time for. So it's going to look like you don't care about it or you don't want it as much as maybe your partner does. But it's more, it's less so that you don't want it and more so that you don't think about it as often. So you're only you're only engaging in sexuality as a response to your partner's advances. So how would you change that then? Because yeah. like say, it, you know, like say you want to have more sex, but it's just not top of mind. And then what mm -hmm. if your partner's like, Hey, like you don't initiate sex or like, how come I always have to bring it up? But you yeah. want, you want to make that change, but it just doesn't come naturally for you. Like what would be your advice? Right. So um, definitely in the four intimacy styles, I give lots of concrete advice on what you can do to up each of those quadrants. So up the bonding, up the giving, up the release, up the responsive. Um, but for people who are trying to be more responsive, which is what I would recommend for you because you were so low on your responsiveness, it's making sure that your partner is getting the chance to, to initiate, making sure that your partner is not always having to tell you no because you're always initiating. You know, a lot of people don't even know how to initiate sexuality with their partners because they've never had to. 
especially women. Um, a lot of women from my generation, they were socialized to not to be responsive, to be the person who is pursued, to be on the receiving end. Um, and they, a lot of women truly don't even know how to, or they feel very awkward or they feel like a teenager, you know, a bumbly teen, teenager, and they don't know how to do that. So practice allowing your partner to come to you if you have very little responsive um, style. And if you want to initiate, but you feel awkward about it, are there certain things that you can do to put into practice, like little things that like might help make that initiation a little bit less awkward or a little bit easier? So there's verbal and nonverbal. And for a lot of people, they may think, and I talk about this in the book about how nonverbal communication is so important in sexuality. What you're not saying speaks volumes about your attitude towards sexuality and your attitude towards pleasure. So for people who are trying to initiate, but aren't necessarily the kind of person who's going to verbally say, Hey, do you want to get it on? Or do you want to, you know, want to mess around a little bit around? How about we go take a shower together? The nonverbals are going to be the lingering hugs, the lingering kisses, the sitting closer, the complimenting, the, you know, the touching the lower back, the touching an arm, uh, hugging and not backing off quickly. It, it can be anything like that. It can also be something where from, for a lot of people who are overly responsive and, and maybe are more like in the 70th you know, percent off for that, I would say they need to start scheduling time where they're thinking about, they're reading about sex, they're thinking about it, they're watching movies, they're talking to their partner about what they like to do, they're exploring their own bodies. All of these things will help you get sex in the brain. And when you can get sex on the brain, it can get on your schedule. When it gets on the schedule, it might actually happen. <laughs> Wait, this is so interesting because you're we schedule out our entire freaking lives, right? Like we schedule our work calls, we schedule our workouts, hanging out with friends, like I've never once scheduled like intimacy with my partner, but you know, what's super interesting is I was listening to a podcast the other day about sex. And like I said, this isn't a topic that like, I normally, like I wouldn't seek out a sex podcast for me. Like, and in this podcast, um, the host was talking about how her and her boyfriend were at a party and they were like super into each other. And it was like so sexual. They were on the other side of the room that they left the party. They had sex in the car and then went back to the party. And I was like, I don't want to have sex randomly on the Pacific coast highway with my husband. And, but just hearing that story made me think about sex more and made me more excited about it. So you're totally right. Well, and that sort of spontaneous sexuality, that doesn't mm -hmm. happen very often. Except um, in the movies. I think except we're, in the movies. we're designed to think of like it should happen like that. Well, it sounds so exciting. And it's really um, it's really one of those things where practically it doesn't really happen because you're thinking, okay, somebody's going to see us. Somebody's going to snap a picture. I'm going to end up on the Internet or um, or the cops are going to come or, or it's going to be uncomfortable or whatever. And so there's a, a whole lot of reasons to understand why spontaneous sexuality, you know, especially with you're actually having interactions and intercourse with a partner probably isn't going to happen like that often. 
it can happen. But for the vast majority of people, they have to actively think about it. And if you're experiencing consistent and pleasurable sexuality without having to schedule it, well, then by all means, don't schedule it. But for everyone else who feels like it's been a week, it's been two weeks, it's been three weeks, then that's when you say, maybe I'm going to put it on my calendar so that I can prepare myself and then I can initiate. I'll do the shaving my legs. I'll do the not eating, you know, spicy foods that make my stomach hurt and I can't, you know, I'll do the not taking my Ambien or whatever people use or, you know, but like there are so many people who they just need to have it on there so that they can think about it. Their partner doesn't even have to be aware of it. And then there are other couples who, in order to have sex, they have to both have it on the schedule. They put a little heart, they put a little something, and everyone knows this is what's happening. And if you're like scheduling sex or if you have to talk about it with your partner, that doesn't necessarily mean, like, I think that that's good, right? Because you're working towards that intimacy. But like, if you don't have spontaneous sex, I guess that's okay, right? Because I do think that we are conditioned to think, like, from movies and from TV and like even me just hearing that podcast, like, that's how sex should be. It maybe doesn't have mm-hmm. to be like that all the time. So I'll say a couple of things about that. The first is it's not about how it should be. It's about what works for you. Um, if spontaneous, a lot of people that I see as clients will say the only time I'm ever really excited about doing anything sexually is if it's spontaneous, if it's on the calendar, if I know it's coming, it's not exciting. Then I have the other half of my clients who are saying, knowing that it's on the calendar, it gets me excited. It gets me aroused to know tonight's the night. I can start thinking about it. I can start fantasizing. I can plan for it. I can get my body ready, my mind ready. So it just depends. It depends on what you think. And then the other part of it is that, again, if it's not happening, you have to do whatever it takes to make it happen or else your relationship won't survive in the long term. That's what the four intimacy styles are all about. This book is all about helping people who want to be together forever. They have the love down. They have the emotional connection. The physical connection is what's lacking. This is the key from a lot of, a lot, a lot of years, almost two decades of doing this. This is the key to help couples who want to be together forever and don't just want to end up in divorce, cheating or alienation. So do you think that having a lack of a physical connection, physical sexual intimacy can lead to that? Like what if some people are just like, eh, I don't really like, I'm okay without having sex. And they think their partner's okay with it too. Yeah. Do you, so if, do you if find your couples are like that? Yeah. Um, I don't find that they're happy that way. I don't find that both, co- but both partners are equally satisfied. If both partners are equally satisfied without having the sexual component to their relationship, it's rare um, but if it happens, they're going to be, they're not coming to see me because they're happy as clams. They might come to see me about something else, but you know, those aren't the people who are going to say, oh yeah, I need to really work on this. But it's very rare that both parties in a long-term monogamous committed relationship feel a hundred percent happy with whatever their sex life looks like. Whether it's after 10 years, 10 months, 10 days, there's going to be a time where they're not on the same track. We're such physical beings. So things that change within our bodies over time as we age and develop, that's going to affect us. And especially if you're in heterosexual relationships, everything's a little bit different, you know, physically. So 
we're going to come to times where we're just not on the right track or on the same track. And then there are a lot of couples who will say, well, I want to read your book, but we're not having these issues. Okay, but this is to help you to understand how to maintain the fact that you're not having these issues. This is to help you go the 20, 30, 40, 50 year relationship and make sure that you can navigate those waters. I love that. Okay, I'm going to get into some questions because you you uh, marked on something when you said different like schedules and different things happening in our life as we get older. For instance, like I just had a baby and thank you. Um, my sex drive was insane. Like, and I, I got a question here, um, from a listener who said that my husband is terrified of pregnancy sex, but I need it. I need it. And I feel her because when I was pregnant, I was horny as hell. I was like, I need it. Like I was most I've ever wanted to have sex. So how could she have this conversation with him? How could she make her husband feel comfortable to fulfill fulfill her needs? I mean, the woman's pregnant. She's she's got to get it in, you know? (laughs) What can she do? She's got to get it in before she can get it out. Um, (laughs) It's funny. This is a really special topic for me because I did my doctoral project on maintaining sexual intimacy during pregnancy. Um, oh and so I love this. I could talk about this <laughs> okay, for good. days. Um, Let's so hear in it. this Let's situation, the way that she needs to talk to her husband is first of all, she needs to educate him on anatomy. I think there are a lot of men who don't understand what exactly is happening inside when they penetrate a pregnant woman. They're concerned about, they're fearful. They're, they're concerned about harming her, harming the baby. The other thing is that she needs to talk to her doctor to make sure that she understands what is okay as far as any sort of penetration. Oftentimes, if there is some sort of concern during pregnancy, doctors will tell them, hey, you need to abstain from sexuality. But what they're not saying in particular and what they're not asking in particular is, are you saying I can't orgasm? Are you saying I can't have any sort of arousal? Are you saying I can't have semen inside of me? Are you saying that I can't have anything penetrate me? And those are the things that they need to ask those questions because that's probably what he's wondering. Like, oh, you know, like what's okay and what isn't because you read something that says, Oh, if you ejaculate inside of a pregnant woman, it could help kickstart, you know, delivery. But that, so if you're thinking about that and you're a man, you're like, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that. (laughs) But again, if that's the case, guess what? You can use condoms. Guess what? You can use the pullout method. Um, all of those things. So I would say definitely let him know about anatomy. Both of you can educate yourselves on that. And especially at different times in the trimester, at different trimesters, you need to figure that out. The other one is talk to your doctor to get some really good, solid information about what's okay and what isn't and what to avoid and what not to avoid. Um, and then the third thing is to say, you know, it doesn't always have to be about penetrative intercourse. And there, you know, sometimes, and this was a really big controversial thing with my project, I can understand why some men are scared or even turned off by a pregnant woman's body. I've had two kids. It feels very odd and it looks really odd. Um, It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but beautiful doesn't always equal sexy. And if you have a template of what sexy looks like, and all of a sudden over the course of six months, it changes drastically, um, then that could be something that they need to talk about in order to override that sort of thing. I would say definitely try different positions, try different lingerie. There's lots of great lingerie that will kind of 
um, not necessarily hide, but it can camouflage <laughs> the, the new body. Um, I think it's also important to really try some different sorts of activities. Um, you know, for some women during pregnancy, nipple play is going to be like, wow, amazing. And for others, it's like, please don't do that. So talking about what is okay and what isn't um, might be helpful. Okay. So you touched on something about like the female body. And I feel like this is something that we talk a lot about on this podcast and just in general, like, what do you, how do you, if you want to have sex, but you don't necessarily feel confident in your skin at the moment, or you don't love the way you look at the moment, how do you get past that? It'll be interesting to see what your listeners think about this. But my philosophy is if you don't enjoy something about yourself, if you're not a, if you're not feeling super confident about it, you either need to work on it or you need to accept it. There is no other option. You either need to do something about it or be working on it or accept it. And being in that limbo phase is not it doesn't set you up for success as an individual and it doesn't set you up for success in a partnership. So if there's something going on with your body and your physicality, I would say first try to accept it and understand why this is you and why this is okay. And why this is something that you can be confident with and enjoy and love. Uh, But if not, you need to be working on it and you need to make those changes. It, it puts a lot of undue stress on yourself, but then also on your partner when you have insecurities. Insecurities, I truly believe, poke holes in all of the good of your life, again, both individually and relationally. So getting rid of insecurities by accepting yourself or changing them is really the only way you can handle it. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree with that. And I relate to it. And I think it's, it's sometimes a lot easier said than done. You know what I mean? Um, sure. Every, but a lot of things that are that really are meaningful are harder to do. A lot of them are. Um, but again, we have we have so especially now with social media as adults, we're starting to realize there is no right. There is no perfection. There is no standard of beauty. And, and, and it's getting a little bit weird to see that beauty is starting to look very homogenized. Who says that it's not just a trend to look a certain way or to have your face shaped a certain way or your body a certain way? We've seen this happen through generations and generations, generations where things are fads. I think that it's important to just own your own skin and say, look, I need to be healthy. I need to be mentally healthy. I need to be physically healthy. That is my beauty standard. And, you know, there's a little sprinkles on top that you can do (laughs) for fun. Yeah. But otherwise you just need to love yourself. I think that's what it all comes down to. I think you need to learn how to love yourself and accept yourself because everyone's standard of beauty is different. And everyone, you can't judge health necessarily by looking at someone. So it's all about how you feel about yourself. Uh, Okay. Let's talk about orgasms because this is a big thing. Someone said, I have been with my boyfriend for one and a half years. Someone else said, I've been with my husband for three years and I've still never had an orgasm. Someone said, how do I explain to my husband that female orgasms just require more time and more work? So women are trying to have orgasms. They're not having them. How do we fix this? 
Okay. So because it can be one of those things where statistically they may not ever be able to orgasm through intercourse with their partner um, or through any sort of penetrative sex with a partner, then I think it's very important that women start to realize that it doesn't really matter how you get the orgasm as long as it's something that um, hopefully, you know, you're able to talk about openly, you're able to uh, maybe do on your own with your partner. It's all about the bonding effects of having that happen. For a lot of women who aren't able to orgasm with a partner, it's not that they can't orgasm at all. It's not that they're anorgasmic, so to say. It's just that they struggle to do that alongside their partner because of the way that their anatomy is or because of the way that, you know, it's like less than 20% of women can orgasm through penetrative sexuality alone. So wow, that's they're a really not alone. Number. They're not alone. Mm-hmm. And I think that for many couples, they just have to realize, hey, we do things that include intercourse, but it's not the only thing that we're going to do. We can have, you know, lots of mutual masturbation. We can have toys. We can, um, you know, have massages. We can have pornography be a part of it to simulate your brain and your senses. So I just think they're not alone in experiencing that. And I have so many clients who have said that, but if they put way too much pressure on having it look like it does in the movies where they simultaneously orgasm, which never happens. Um, that's no. like such an anomaly <laughs> or that it happened only through penetration. There's a right. reason that women buy vibrators, men, men's bodies cannot simulate that. Right. So there's a, a just in and of itself, the ways that our bodies ex- experience arousal and the sexual response cycle, it, it isn't likely that it's going to happen through a penis vagina experience. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, may I recommend oral sex? I think it's fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and most women will say that that's how they orgasm quickest, not through yeah. intercourse. And hey, guess what? A lot of men feel the same way too. So. Interesting. Okay. That's super interesting <laughs> because someone said, is it okay to not give blowjobs? I'm just not comfortable. They gross me out. Mm. What is your answer to that? Um, let's talk about why it grosses you out. Did you have a really bad experience? Did you have, um, when you say gross, is, is it a mental, like your, um, it's almost like a moral thing or religious thing, a spiritual thing, or are you saying grossed out, like physically it grosses you out because of hygiene issues that maybe you've experienced or hygiene issues that you think you might experience. I've had this talk with several, several, several women and men, and I'm a huge fan of practicing really good hygiene. And actually in order to ensure that their partner knows how good the hygiene has been is I would say, Hey, take a shower together, wash each other, make sure that you're washing all of his nether region in order to then um, feel like he is clean enough. The other thing is a lot of women don't realize this and a lot of men, Hey, if you're listening, I need you to make sure you tell your partner this. They do not have to have the full on, I don't know how graphic we can get here, but we can get graphic. Okay. Oh, well, yeah, nobody's here. Um, okay. <laughs> they do not have to come in their mouth. They do not have to swallow. 
Um, that is not something most men will say, I don't really care about that part. Like if that's, that's a bonus if she wants to, but I don't care about that part. So if that's, what's keeping you from experiencing oral sex and, you know, uh, performing fellatio on your partner, have that conversation. <laughs> yeah, I'm way fine with this part. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Um, if you, if you, if you're grossed out by it, let's figure out what is it? Is it the hygiene? Is it the principle of it? Or is it that you're thinking, Oh, I have to have semen in my mouth and I don't want that. And what if you're just scared to do it or just don't think you're good at it and just feel like, mm-hmm. Oh, I, we could just have intercourse. That's easier. Because I do think a lot of women are like, let's just get straight to the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's also another thing where there are so many great educational videos out there. Um, I'm a big fan of <laughs> I'm a big fan of the Sinclair Institute. They have some great videos out oh. there that would that give some because they're real couples that are on camera helping to educate um, other people on different you know facets of sexuality. So that's a big one. The other thing is if you don't think you're good at it, um, your partner can give you some feedback. You can even ask before, have a conversation over lunch to say, hey, what's your favorite part about a blowjob? What's, you know, what's that like? What does that typically look like? And if it wasn't something that had to happen from, you know, that if it didn't need to end in your ejaculation, what's your favorite part? Is it using hands? Is it, is it just the visual of it? Is it how vulnerable your partner is being by doing this for you? What are you getting out of it? Ask those questions because it can help you really hone in on what is going to be most pleasurable. Okay. I love that. Um, a couple people asked or said, I love my partner. I love my boyfriend. I love my husband, but I fantasize other men while I'm having sex. What does this mean? Is this a problem? So it's a bad habit to get into because then now you're associating someone else with your own pleasure. I think it's fine to do that every once in a while, um, even especially if you're trying to like kickstart something, if you're alone. But if you're with a partner and you're not thinking about them, eventually you're going to be disappointed with who you see when you open your eyes. Mm, so it's not a good habit to get into. Again, every once in a while, that's okay. Just like, you know, I, I tend to talk about a lot about fantasizing and help women and men to co-write fantasies, you know, in my office. What that said, I'm leading them through this process. Okay, where are you? What's happening? Like very detailed because a lot of people are like, I never fantasize. I rely on pornography. It's all here. You've got, you've got the power to do this on your own. And what I always want them to do is envision their partner. Or if they're single, envision someone that they've been with before. When you go way too far into the unrealistic, not really possible, illogical place, then you're moving further and further away from having an experience in real life that you will get off to. So I'm a big fan of using reality and, and having realistic fantasies in order to really help you to get off. Okay. And now what if people are having sex with their partners, right? They're having it frequently, but it's just kind of meh, or it just feels like routine. Like how can they switch things up? How can they think, make things more interesting and more exciting and even like begin to have that conversation with their partner um, when maybe they've never had it before? Easy peasy strategy is to start off with a different location. 
it can be a different bed in your house. It doesn't have to be anything wild, right? It doesn't have to be like in the back of an Uber or something. Um, (laughs) But switch up the location. The next thing is switch up the time that it typically happens. So if you're typically morning people, try it at night. If you're typically indoor people, go to the backyard. If you're, I mean, all it's like, do a little bit of a tweak here and there. And that will hopefully get your brain to see something novel and feel something novel. And that gets you excited um, and gives you kind of new energy for it. And then the other thing is um, try different positions. You can also listen to different music. You can have a sexy movie in the background. You can smell something different to light a different candle than you're used to. Um, You can wear something different. You can role play. I mean, there's a lot of vanilla things that people can do in order to get (laughs) excited and to, and to reinvigorate themselves sexually. You don't have to hang from the chandeliers. You don't have to go to a sex club. You, You don't have to do anything that could get you arrested. There are a lot of things that you could do, <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of vanilla stuff that you can do. And I do include a lot of that in the foreign intimacy styles book. Oh my gosh. Okay. I love that. And one last question, cause I know you have to go, which I'm so sad because I'm loving this conversation, but this was a question that I received a lot. How regularly should you be having sex in a relationship for maximum happiness? Is there an average number? Okay. So just know that there is no right answer. But my answer, coming from a sexual expert sort of place, is that I think you should be having two sensual activities per week that may or may not include intercourse, that may or may not include oral sex, that may not include, may or may not include mutual masturbation. That could be a sexy massage. That could be, I mean, there's, there, you could talk about it. You could read a sexy book together, but shoot for twice a week to have some sort of sexual interaction with your partner. If you can get more, great. But I also don't want people to get to a place where it's multiple times a day because guess what? Multiple times a day, um, even four or five times a week forever is going to get stale. It's going to get meh. It's, it makes it difficult to continue to grow and to feel like you're uh, expanding your sex life with your partner. So you kind of have to pace yourself. You know, it's with sex. It's not, it's not always the more, the better. Okay. I love that. And thank you so much. I, we're going to have to do a part two. Is that okay? Absolutely. I'd love that. There's so many more questions. Um, But for now, I think we all need to read the four intimacy styles. So yes, it's available. Absolutely. So it's available on pre-order right now at fourintimacystyles.com. It will be available for wide distribution. It's exclusively offered through my website. So you're not going to find it anywhere else. And the reason for that is I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a businesswoman. And I do not want to give my rights away to my work. And I don't want to give all that money away to someone else. So hopefully you'll go to my website and find it there. It is going to be eventually available with ebook and even audio. So I'm doing all the same things, but you can only find it through the website, the four You can follow me online everywhere. It's Dr. Viviana, spell it out, D-O-C-T-O-R, Viviana. And hopefully you'll check, uh, check me out on the TV shows that I'm doing on Married at First Sight on Lifetime. You are amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and we'll have you back soon. Thank you, Dr. Viviana. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. 
Thank you so much for tuning in today. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes on our website, theconfidentcollective.com and find us on Instagram at Confident Collective. And if you really loved what you heard, screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it in your stories and don't forget to tag us. 